So as I said before, we come to this text, and in this text, we come to a section of Scripture that follows right after the burning bush conversation. And when we come to this section of Scripture, we come to a very well-known portion of the story, the story where Moses first shows up in front of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's response to the command of God is to make things worse for the people of God. And that's what happens in this, in this text before us. What I want us to think about is how we view God this morning. I think whether or not we realize it, I would assume most of us gathered in this room, we, do, we would not say I'm a health and wealth gospel person. I don't believe that there's a way that I can earn good things from God. I can't name it and claim it. It doesn't work that way. But I would venture to say pretty much all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, on some level, we wish that God was a genie, right? I was watching a section of Aladdin this week when Robin Williams is this big blue genie. Uh, and essentially, Aladdin asked for him for something, and because Aladdin rubbed the lamp, now this genie has to give uh, Aladdin what he asks for, and he does. And things get better for Aladdin. We want it to work that way with God. We know that it doesn't, but deep down, we don't understand why. God, you are capable of snapping your fingers and making anything happen. God spoke everything into existence. So in one sense, God can do more than a genie can do. Well, genies aren't real, so that's easily done. But the, the point being, God can do what we wish that he would do, but he doesn't, by and large. God doesn't act like a genie towards us. And so when we are in the midst of our lives and things are getting harder, you know, I hope that you're honest with people if you start talking to them about what it's like to follow Jesus. Life gets harder when you start following Jesus not easier, but life gets better when you start following Jesus as well. But if we think that life is gonna get easier, it's because we think God is a genie. And so whether we would say it that way or not, when we're mad at God because he's not doing what we think he should be doing, he's not making our life easier the way we think that he should, it's because we're saying, God, you're powerful enough to do it, and if you love me, you would. So you don't love me. I can see the evidence of it. We struggle to see the life that we live, life that, all that's going on in our life. It is, it is the context and it's the details in which God is rescuing us, not the evidence of his lack of love for us. And so as we come to this text, we're gonna get a chance to look at that from a couple angles. I want us to understand God's demonstrating who he is to us and to Pharaoh and to the people of God in this text. This text, you might be tempted when you look at this, you think so much about the oppression and the way that God's people end up being uh, crushed under the weight of expectation from this taskmaster, this enslaver Pharaoh. This text is actually not about the people of God. It's about God and Pharaoh. It's about God saying to the one who has enslaved his children, let my kids go. And it's about the one who enslaves them saying, absolutely not. I would rather your kids die than give them back to you. That's the struggle. That's the battle that's taking place. And it's taking place in the daily life of the people of Israel. Their daily life is the experience of this battle, this epic battle between God and the one that has them enslaved. Some of you know where we're going already with this, but I'm jumping ahead of myself, so let me back up a little bit. All right, so looking at this, this interaction, if it's primarily about God and about Pharaoh, if it's about the tension between the two of them, I want you to see what God says and how Pharaoh responds. 
Look with me in chapter 4. Chapter 4, looking at verse 22 and 23, says this. This is the message that Moses has given to tell Pharaoh. He says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son, he says. That's what the message is that Moses is supposed to take to Pharaoh. And I want you to understand there are two aspects of this message. One is for the, in the hearing of the people, the people of Israel, the people of God, to encourage them. And the other is to confront Pharaoh. This is the first place in Scripture that God refers to his people as his children, as his son. So God's saying to his people, I'm your father, and I have come to rescue you. I've come to get you. I've come to fight for you. And I'm going to fight the one who has you enslaved. And that's Pharaoh. And so he, he turns towards Pharaoh and he says, let my son go. And if you don't, I will take yours. That's, that's fighting words. Those are battle lines drawn right there. And I want you to understand from Pharaoh's vantage point, what Pharaoh is hearing is, Someone coming to him and saying, you know these slaves that you have, that you think of them as yours, they're mine and they're my children and you're not. And for Pharaoh, if you understand the culture, the religion of Egypt, Pharaoh was convinced that he alone was the son of the gods. So you have the Lord coming and saying, let my children go and you're not one of them. And so Pharaoh is confronted. And then... uh, I'm going to take just a brief excursus here because there's a section in this passage that just jumps out of us. Did you notice as we were reading this whole section when they're at that lodging and suddenly Moses' son is getting circumcised and is being placed on his feet and God was going to kill him and you're like, what? That's, maybe, maybe that would have been a better footnote or something. I don't know what to, to do with that. There's a reason it comes right here. It's because God is saying, I will fight for my family. And what makes you a part of the family of God? Covenant promises and shed blood. That's what makes you a part of the family of God. And so God confronts Moses. He says, you're going to take this message of hope to my people. Moses, you're not even living like you're one of my people. You haven't circumcised your son. You haven't claimed those covenant promises. You're not living as my covenant child. You're not living as a part of my family. And so he confronts Moses. And it's only through covenant promises and shed blood that Moses is then saved. You know the only difference between Moses and the people of God and Pharaoh is that Moses and the family of God are the family of God. There's only two types of people. Those that God says, you are my kids and I'm going to rescue you. And those who are part of the enemy. The enemy. Enemy forces. That's it. There's no middle ground. The beauty of the gospel is that God takes enemies and adopts them and makes them children. But we have to understand that if you're not a child, if you're not part of the family, you're hostile towards God. You're his enemy. And so we see actually the gospel right here because you know what happens? Moses is living as a covenant breaker. And through covenant promises and shed blood, he's forgiven. What is that a picture of? Someone, a firstborn child, blood from a firstborn, bringing forgiveness for a covenant breaker. It's a picture of the gospel, of what we're going to see in fullness as we see the story unfold. But Moses needs to see it for himself. He needs God's covenant promises, and he needs bloodshed for his own salvation, his own being brought into the family 
of God. So that's what that's about. God's saying, I want to fight for my family. Moses, live like a part of my family. And then we come to the tension between Pharaoh and God. And the tension is this. God is saying, these people are my children. And then Pharaoh is saying, no, these people are my slaves. It's whose people are these? That's what takes place there at the beginning of chapter 5 when, Mo, when Pharaoh says, who's the Lord? I don't know him and I am not going to let these people go. You can tell me that you belong to him, but you don't. You belong to me. That's the tension. Whose are the people of God? Are they as sons or are they the slaves of whoever has them enslaved? And God says, when I claim you as my child, that defines you. It doesn't matter if you live in slavery. You are my child now. And that trumps your life as a slave. But Pharaoh's going to have no part of that. So what does Pharaoh do when he finds out that there's a father king who wants to set his children free and take his slaves away? He seeks to crush them. I want you to understand what's going on here. You have Pharaoh saying, no. Saying, essentially, he's saying to the people of Israel, he doesn't care about God. He's saying, you think that you're the sons of that, that father king? No, you're my slaves and you're going to feel it. I'm going to crush you. Pharaoh would rather them be crushed than see them go free with their father. That's, what, that's his preference. Remember Solomon had an interaction with these two women who claimed to be the mother of the same child. And they said, this is my child. No, she says, it's my child. How, Solomon, how will we know which child is, is, actually belongs to, which, to the mother? Or how will we know which mother belongs to the child? He says, cut the child in half. You can each have half a child. And one of the women says, no, I would rather that child go with her. And the other one says, okay. And so he takes the baby and he gives it to the one who would rather the baby have lived than died. You understand the picture is we have a father king who says, I will rescue you so you can live. And we have a tyrant who says, I will enslave you and crush you. That's the tension. That's the context of life. And that's what I want us to understand is that's what's going on for Israel. They find themselves in the midst of that kind of battle of a tyrant saying, I will never let my slaves go, and a father king who says, I will have them, and you can't keep them from me. Why would we think that life is easy in the midst of that kind of battle? Life is hard, and what enslaves us would rather us be crushed than set free every time. Now here's, by way of application, how I want us to think about this. I want us to look at how the people of Israel respond. All of us are enslaved. We understand for the people of Israel and for some of our brothers and sisters around the globe, there is like crimes against humanity type of enslavement that goes on. But by and large, for God's people, the type of enslavement that we're talking about is the enslavement that we brought about our, on ourselves. We have subjected and submitted ourselves to sin, and then sin enslaves us. There's a great sermon by Tim Keller called How Sin Makes Us Addicts. I'd encourage you to go check that out. It's a wonderful, wonderful reminder of, uh, and much more in depth about these truths, of, about the way that we become enslaved to our sin. And so when, when God comes and confronts our enslaver, he's in confronting our own sin, sin that we brought in and that we have been subjected to by our own volition. But all of God's children live enslaved, and his is always an act of rescue out of enslavement. So every follower of Jesus lives a life that is a battle between a father king who wants you rescued and an enslaver who wants you crushed, and you are caught there. And as Pearson was telling us, we know the end of the movie. We know that God wins. But as the story unfolds, it can be hard to trust that he's going to win.
or for us on this side of the cross, trusting that he's already won. So looking at the people of Israel here, the way that they respond, I want you to look at Moses. One of the things we see in Moses in those first, four, uh, first couple of verses of chapter four, the section we're looking at, he's been objecting, objecting, objecting. I don't want to go send someone else. But finally, he, he trusts God and he goes. He says, all right, God, you're going to save these people. That sounds good. I'm going to go. And then he goes with Aaron and he meets with the people. We see that at the end of chapter four, verse 29. So Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshiped. They thought they understood. God's gonna rescue us. Things are gonna get better, not worse. Let's worship together. Let's trust him. That's when it's easy for us. We're like, oh, I want you to think about your, uh, your relationship with wh- whatever's got you enslaved. I want you to think about what it's like when you say, all right, I'm, I'm not gonna be enslaved to pornography anymore. I'm gonna put it away. I'm not gonna fall prey to that ever again. I'm freed from that. It does not have dominion over me. Do you never struggle with it again or does your struggle become that much more intense? I'm not gonna engage in this relationship with this guy anymore. I'm not gonna do this anymore. I'm gonna break it off. It's over. How often is a story so much more difficult than a clean break? Well, I'm not gonna go and work 80-hour work weeks anymore. It's killing my family. Jesus has freed me from that. I don't need it anymore. How easy is that transition? It's never easy. It's never easy. It's always hard. But in that first moment, we're like, yeah, I'm freed from this. I'm ready to worship. I trust God with it. But you know what happens to us is the same thing that happens to Israel. How, does, how do they respond when the next chapter, the next page even of the same chapter, we have Pharaoh crushing them? Do you remember their response? Listen to Moses' response. At the end of chapter 5, verse 22, Moses turned to the Lord and he said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done evil to this people, and you've not delivered your people at all. He says, God, things didn't go the way that we all thought they were going to go. Why did you do this to us? Why were you evil to us? Can you imagine saying that to God? You should be able to because we do. We just aren't as explicit about it. But saying, God, this didn't go the way that I was sure you were gonna do it. Things got harder, not easier. I'm actually finding myself around my computer a lot more than I thought I was going to be. I thought you were gonna free me from this. I feel more tempted than I did before. That guy is saying way sweeter things to me than he did before. He's pledging his love to me in a way he never did before. And now I just desperately wanna be with him. Father, Father, you said that you were gonna free me from this and now they're offering me so much more money to take this promotion. How do you expect me to say no to this? God, if you wanted me freed from it, you would have done something different. Obviously, you don't love me the way that I thought you did. And so our response is like Moses. You brought this evil in. You see what the people do whenever when they turn against God? They turn and spurn him. We're told that because of the slavery and because of their broken spirit, the people of Israel don't even want to respond to Moses' message by the end of it. They just don't trust God anymore because he didn't do what they thought he would do. When things got hard, it's actually more sinister than that, though. In the midst of it, when the crushing was happening, where did the people of Israel run? To the tyrant. Did you catch that in the middle? Things get worse, 
And where do they run? They run to Pharaoh, the one who is enslaving them, the one who is crushing them. They run to the one that would crush them and would see them dead and say, won't you relent? Won't you take pity on us? They don't run to their father who is saying, I will rescue you. They run to the one who has enslaved them, expecting to find hope and forgiveness there. That's what we do. We run to what enslaves us and we say, please make this easier. Please make this easier. That's the experience for every follower of Jesus, the tension that we have, that we live in, when we live in this fallen world where there is a battle going on all the time and we think that God should snap his fingers like a genie, but instead there's a battle for rescue and we feel overwhelmed by it and our natural inclination is to run to what enslaves us, not run to the one who promises us freedom. So what would we expect from this father king? What do we expect God to do? He says, I've come to rescue you. Oh, that's great news. We want to worship you. Whoa, things got harder. You're evil. You're doing evil against us. You don't love us. Let's run back to the one who can maybe relent a bit. Let's go back to our enslaver and see if we can manage a better relationship with him. What would we expect? We would expect the father to wash his hands of spiteful rebels that he was willing to have as children. But that's not what happens. I want you to see the beauty of chapter six, verse one. Moses has just, representative of all the people, just said, God, you have done evil against us. You lied to us. And this is God's response. He says, the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. I want you to understand, this is, this is what I want you to see. In the face of that, you, understand, you, you hear Moses, Moses is saying more aggressive, angry things to God than Pharaoh did. And God's response to him is to say, I'm gonna punish Pharaoh. How can that possibly be? How can God not have reoriented his anger towards Moses? It's because once God says, you're part of my family, you'll never be my enemy again. We forget who the enemy is. God never does. We pit ourselves against God as if he doesn't love us, but he never stops loving us. And so what happens here is when Israel would say, I'd rather be enslaved, he says, you don't know what you're saying. I love you, and I'm gonna rescue you. God never forgets that, that once he sets his affection on us and makes us his children, we're his children forever, even when we don't act like it, even when we don't wanna be. There's a freedom here, not so that you can say, atrocious things about God, but there's a freedom in this that you can know if you're his child, he will never treat you as his enemy, ever. And he will never stop defeating your enemies, no matter how you approach him. That's not license to treat him poorly, but there is freedom that his love has never been contingent on you being worth loving. It's always been on his desire for you. And I want you to think, last thought for you this morning before we spend a little bit of time singing and going about enjoying a Lord's Day together. And that's this, that when we think about how God can do that, why God would not pour his wrath out on us, I want you to understand that Jesus, when Jesus went to the cross, he took all the tyranny and the crushing and the enslavement for us. When Jesus was on his way to the cross, he endured all the beatings that we should be enduring. 
Jesus took all, and then he took the infinite wrath of God as well. He took not only the enslavement so that we are no longer enslaved, but he took the wrath for being our own enslavers on himself. And so God can say, I will never treat you as an enemy. You're my child, and I'm going to love you forever. Let's pray.